Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. And uh, I believe today will be, I think I can finish today the series that I've taught on the book of Revelation. Part of me is a little bit um, feeling like I was born to do this and I've accomplished something that I have wanted to do my entire life. And thank you for being a part of letting me share this. Now, I'm certain that what I'm going to find is that God is going to bring adjustment into some of these pieces. We're not saying we've got every detail and every piece of this correct. I am a work in progress, and I am truly open to the things of God and and how to, uh, as He begins to develop more and more truth to me, and there'll be certainly things that I have changed even since I have begun teaching this series. But I want to try to bring some conclusion to it today as we go to, this will be the sixth program that we have aired on Revelation chapter 22. So I'm not going to go back and review a whole lot. Everything we've aired today is on YouTube, and you can go back there to our, to our channel it's, it's that you might have life, or you can just put my name in the search engine. It'll bring up a lot of stuff, but the one that's called that you might have life has a playlist of uh, all of the stuff that we've done on Revelation, and you can watch them for free. You could also sign up at iTunes for a, our podcast, which will give you the audio portions of this, or you can uh, order this series should soon, very soon be released uh, on the book of Revelation in CD format and probably on jump drives. We're going to make it available to you, the audio portions, so that you can have this. This is a college course. This is probably, this is the most complete piece of work I have ever done on the book of Revelation and on eschatology, and it is being widely, widely received uh, across not just the United States, but literally around the globe as people are shifting from a losing mentality to a victorious eschatology. I want to get in the Word today, uh, Revelation 22. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as a crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded a fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face. His name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. They shall reign forever and ever. And, these, and He said unto me, These things are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent His angel to show unto His servants the things which must shortly be done. Again, He reiterates the time text are relevant to that first century. They're about to be shortly done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is He that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then he said to me, Do, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. He saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Watch this again. For the time is at hand. Let him that, uh, and he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I'm Alpha and Omega, the first, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they which, that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. 
For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things to the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I'm the bright and the morning star. In other words, he's saying the fulfillment of the Davidic promise of one from David's loins who would sit on the throne forever is really being fulfilled with Jesus in his church. That's the only way it can fit because there, has, was, there was hundreds of years that passed with nobody sitting on the throne of David, so to speak, on the natural, but there certainly has been in the Spirit. Jesus is the Son of David, and He's the fulfillment of the Davidic promise. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that's a thirst come, and let whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. That's what I want to really emphasize today and uh, see if we can finish this up. For I testify to every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in the book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, I think it is incredible. First of all, let me just make this comparison. The very last book of the Bible, the very last chapter, he begins to testify and says to you, now I've already, I think, built for five programs, so I'm not going to go back and review too much. But he offers us the water of life freely, and he begins to say to us, and I, and I think I've done a good job already laying how, when he uses the eminency scriptures, he's talking about, these things are about to shortly come to pass. Behold, I come quickly. One of the things that uh, concerned me even in teaching this book, though, is when he said in this, if you take away from the words of the prophecy of this book, I'm going to take your name out of the book of life. If you add to the words of the prophecy, I'll add to you the plagues. Uh, to me, that's, you know, I, that, that, that almost makes it fearful to even to try to uh, even speak anything out of the book of Revelation. But really, to me, what he's saying here is not just how you handle or mishandle the book of Revelation, but it's how you handle or mishandle the entire revelation of Jesus. Let me say what I mean by that. Anything you take away from the finished work of Jesus or His person and His work will take away some aspect of the life that that produces. In other words, if you take away from the atoning work of Jesus that healing's not in the atonement, then you're going to take healing away. Uh, if you add to this revelation of Jesus, in other words, if you say, okay, you know, God's given you cancer to process you, then you're going to add to people the plagues that are written in this book. In other words, your revelation of Jesus is what's important. It's not necessarily the mishandling of this book, because let's just be honest. There's no one that I know or that you know that has all the answers for the book of Revelation. And we don't pretend like we even have got a corner on this book at all. We simply are sharing with you what we believe God told us to share with you. And, but the revelation of Jesus is what's important here because what we, what, when we preach Jesus, that's the whole revelation. See, the whole purpose of the book of Revelation is it's an apocalypse. It's, it's, the word apocalypse is not a... Uh, 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 is, it, well, let me just say this. The word, the word apocalypse means to uncover and to unveil what's been hidden. And what was hidden is in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, this Jesus was walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, and the seven golden candlesticks was the seven churches. So the unveiling here is He's unveiling Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. That's the uncovering. 
that he was unveiling in this book of Revelation as he walks in the midst of his church. He's still unveiling himself and revealing himself to creation. One of the things, though, that I really wanted to, to grab hold of is that he starts to give an invitation at the end of this book and says, let the Spirit and the bride say, come. The end of the book begins to end with him saying, the Spirit and the bride say, come. See, it's one thing that the Spirit has always been saying, come. But I think it is incredible to note that not only is the Spirit saying, come, but now the bride is saying, come. I believe once we get a revelation of the finished work of Jesus, there's going to be a message to creation that says, if you're thirsty, come, drink of the water of life freely. And again, we've seen that this river of water of life is not just something out in the future, it's something we have access to right now because Jesus said, if you believe on me, as the scripture has said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. But I was thinking about this, I did a whole series called The Spirit and the Bride Say Come, that by the way, you can order by calling the number on the screen. And the, uh, I, it was from the Song of Solomon, and I don't know whether what we're going to do next in our series, but I may teach some from the Song of Solomon, I haven't made up my mind yet. But when I started thinking about the Spirit and the Bride say, come, uh, the Lord began to remind me of some stuff that I, uh, I, I, I had preached before. And uh, it, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, in verse number 1, this is what he says. He says, I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey, and I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. Now, what I want you to see is, when I started reading that, that he says, I'm coming to my garden. Now, remember, again, what we see here restored in Revelation 22 almost looks like a brand new Garden of Eden. Remember, the old creation has now passed. A new creation and a new garden has come on the scene. I, I talked about how Adam had a garden. He turned it into a graveyard, and Jesus takes a graveyard and turns it into a garden. Everything Jesus does in His redemptive work, He does it in a garden. He puts us back in a finished work. But then He tells the woman in the Song of Solomon, you're a garden enclosed, you're a spring shut up, you're a fountain sealed. So it's one thing for the Spirit to be saying come, but it's another thing to realize that this garden is also within us and in us. I think it's interesting, in chapter 5 of the Song of Solomon, He lists uh, the fruits that are in her, and there's actually nine, like, like there's nine fruits of the Spirit. So inside of us is the fruit and the leaves that will heal the nations. But the thing that really caught my attention is he says in chapter 5, verse 1, I've gathered my myrrh with my spice, I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey, I've drunk my wine with my milk, eat, old friends, yea, drink, yea, drink abundantly. And if you go back into uh, one of the... Uh, Next chapters in the Song of Solomon, he says to, to them, he says to the, the woman, once he says, he says to her, honey and milk are under your tongue. And when I begin to think about honey and milk being under her tongue, all of a sudden the Lord began to just really bring some revelation to me that honey and milk, let me see if I've got it written in, in my notes here. I think I do. It says, uh, let me just read it from my notes and then I'll reiterate it a little bit. It says, not only, now, now not only is the Spirit saying come, but the bride also is saying come. I contrasted this with the Song of Solomon where he said, honey and milk speak of the message of righteousness by faith. First of all, you say, well, why does milk speak of righteousness? Because the writer of the book of Hebrews says 
that those who have need of milk are people who have not been exercised in the word of righteousness. So the word of righteousness ought to be the first principles of the gospel that we preach. So what he's putting under the tongue or the message that's coming from the, the bride of Christ. See, the Song of Solomon to me is a divine romance. It's about Christ and His bride. I mean, it's almost, to me, it's about like the book of Revelation. When you see a bride here in Revelation 21 and you see a garden, uh, it's almost a picture again here of this church, His people, His bride, the Lamb's wife. And out of this garden of God, there are spices that are released as the wind of the Spirit begins to blow upon His garden. He prophesies, blow upon my garden, so that what's in this bride, this church, this woman, is released to creation and becomes attractive. And that the word that starts to flow out of her mouth is one that has a word of righteousness that's not based on your performance. It's not one that says stay away, but it's a message that says you're righteous based on a gift. And because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. See, I've heard people preach the kingdom, except they preach that we access it through performance-based righteousness, and nobody ever gets that. But in the New Covenant, uh, we are not accessing this by performance-based righteousness. We are accessing it because it's a gift of righteousness. And the moment you begin to preach the righteousness of God instead of a sin consciousness is the moment you're going to begin to hear the Lord invite His friends. He invites His friends to eat and drink what's flowing from her lips. I said, Lord, who are your friends? He said, I'm the friend of sinners. And so the message that has to come from our pulpits has to be one of the Spirit and the bride saying come. It has to be a message that reaches out to those who are thirsty and says to them, if you're thirsty, come. It has to be a message that reaches like it did to the woman at the well when Jesus said, listen, uh, you've drank from the well of Jacob and you keep coming back to that well and it's never satisfied you. You had five husbands, the husband you're with is not your husband. Because see, what happens is when you drink from the well of Jacob, you've got to keep going back for it. Because see, see, pleasure without satisfaction becomes an addiction, but only Jesus can satisfy. Only God can satisfy the longing of your heart. And the moment that this woman comes, Jesus said, listen, I've got water to drink. I want to offer you something that you'll never thirst again. I don't think he meant she'd never get thirsty for water. I think what he said is you're, you're going to lose your appetite for going back to that old well of Jacob, that old system. And we could talk about sinners going back to their old way of life, but I think it's even uh, people having to go back to a performance-based religious system where a righteousness that's on performance keeps you having to go back to the same suppliers of the same stuff that keeps you on the same treadmill over and over and over again. But now there's a bride on the scene. Hallelujah. And the bride and the Spirit are saying, come because her message is now one of righteousness and it's not just milk, but honey is under her tongue. And I begin to write in my notes that, you know, I also wrote in my notes that honey is promised land material. Uh, so the promised land in Hebrews 4 is no longer a piece of real estate. But the promised land in Hebrews 4 is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So the message that's coming out from underneath of her tongue is the message of righteousness by faith, and it is a message that flows from the rest of God that shows you exactly what I've showed you over the last several segments, that this garden of God that this river is flowing from is a finished work. It's a done deal. He has delivered to us a salvation that was ready to be revealed in the last time. 
and our redemption was drawing nigh clear back then, but now redemption has been handed to us full, complete. All we have to do is receive it and access this grace by faith. That's what's up underneath of her tongue. The promised land is rest in the finished work. There's honey in the rock, and that rock is Christ. When the church of the bride has a message that flows from rest and righteousness, God will invite His friends to come and to drink and to feed from what flows from her lips. Uh, and and I, I think that's incredible. When you uh, realize that God is shifting the message, I really believe that what we're understanding is we're no longer preaching the curse. We're no longer letting what flow out from underneath of this temple in this house be a water that's polluted, but a water that's pure, that flows from a slain lamb in the midst of the throne. And I wanted to show you one other thing as well before I quit, and that is uh, uh, the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that's thirsty say, come. You see, you know, when you, when you eat this, uh, when you drink from this uh, fountain and it's not watered down, you get the results of that. You know, I was thinking even a while ago when I was talking about that whenever you take the words of the prophecy of this book, uh, whatever you take from it is going to take something from you. It's like eating watered-down lamb. When you eat watered-down lamb, you get watered-down effects. And so we're going to preach the redemption of Jesus like we've never preached it before until people get thirsty enough to come. See, I, I don't want people to feel like they've got to stay away. I want them to feel like they can draw near. They're qualified that God said, this is how much I love you. And He stretched His arms out and He put nails in both hands and said, I love you this much. And He died because He refused to live without you. God is not mad at you. He's mad about you. And then he ends this book by saying, He which testified these things says, Surely I come quickly. Even so come, Lord Jesus, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And I heard the Lord say to me, Go back to Malachi chapter 4. See, Revelation, the last word of the book of Revelation, the last phrase is, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, I want you to see this because this so powerfully spoke to me, the book of Malachi and chapter 4, the very last verse. So this is the last words of the Old Covenant. Chapter 4, verse 6, it says, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I think it's incredible that the book of Malachi and the Old Covenant ends with the final words, curse. The book of Revelation, however, ends with the Spirit of the Bride say, Come, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And I think that it is absolutely incredible that the book of Revelation does not end with the curse because he's telling them there'll be no more curse. Hallelujah. Man, I'm just blessed. But it ends with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And I want to show you this yet. Uh, Deuteronomy, still got a little bit of time. I want to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27. And I want you to see something here in Deuteronomy 27. This is where uh, the people begin to, uh, they begin to uh, read the law of Moses. And they stood on one mountain. Verse 12 says, These shall stand, this is Deuteronomy 27, These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you are come over Jordan, Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar, Joseph, Benjamin, these shall stand upon Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak and say unto the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed be he, the man that maketh any graven or molten image, any abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, 
Amen. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that maketh the blind to wander out of the way, and the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he that perverteth the judgment of the stranger, the followers, and the widow, and the people shall say, Amen. What I want you to see is in Deuteronomy chapter 27, when they read the curses under the old covenant, the people with one voice said, Amen to the curses. But I want you to go to chapter number 28, and he begins to read the blessings. Verse, and let me just say this. Let me go back here to verse 2. It says, And all the blessing, Deuteronomy 28, And all these blessings shall come upon thee, and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, blessed shalt thou be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy ground, and the fruit of thy cattle, and of the increase of thine kind, and the flocks of the sheep. Blessed shall by thy basket be, and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in. Blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. You say, why are you reading this to us, Brother Howes? Because the book of Revelation doesn't end with somebody saying amen to the curse. The book of Revelation says somebody saying amen to the blessing. Ah, hallelujah. I feel the presence of the Lord. Because the book of Revelation uh, and the new covenant. See, under the old covenant, it's full of curses, and the people said amen to that. You know, it's amazing to me. When I used to preach legalism and law, and I could get people to shout me down, holler an amen. But man, the more I preached the grace of God, it's kind of, you know, at first it was very difficult to get people to say amen because they couldn't come into agreement with the fact that God is not mad. They couldn't come into agreement with the grace of God. But I tell you what now, in, in Christ, watch this, in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. God is waiting on somebody to say amen to the blessing. God is waiting on somebody to say amen to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. See, because the amen of God was said, the curse that the people said amen to, Jesus says this, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the first. I'm the amen. I'm the faithful and true witness, he says to one of the churches. That's the promise given. I am the amen. In other words, Jesus was simply saying to these churches in transition from an old covenant to a new covenant, I'm the final amen to the curse because I took everything you had coming under the curse of Adam, under the curse of the law, under the curse of Deuteronomy. And if you are in Christ, you are no longer under the curse of any of those things, you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, all of God's promises are yes, and somebody ought to say amen to that. I'm telling you, sitting there listening to me today, as we come to the end of this, I wish somebody could say an amen to what I preached to the blessing of God and the grace of God and the honey and the milk that's coming out from underneath of the tongue of this woman in the Song of Solomon, this church, this bride, this lamb's wife. Somebody say amen to the river of God. Somebody say amen to the favor of God. Somebody get in agreement with it. I think it's incredible that Jesus was the end. He was the last Adam. He was the alpha and his death, burial, and his resurrection. He became the omega. Hallelujah. He's the first. He'll be the last. He is the amen. He is the faithful and true. He is the beginning of the whole new creation of God. And that's how this book ends, by saying the Spirit and the bride say come. So the blessing, uh, I just want to read it again from my notes. Please note that the, that the verse of Malachi chapter 4 is the last words of the curse. The book of Revelation ends with grace. The point is that the old covenant uh, ends with the curse and the new covenant ends with grace. 
Someone needs to say amen to the blessing. For in Christ all of God's promises are yes and they're amen. Uh, we live in such a new world. I, I, you know, to me, I, I want to say wake up and smell the roses. God has a message to release to creation. The nations of the earth are waiting on leaves to fro- flow from a tree. Outside this city are people who still need to hear this message. And this city is not a geographical location on a planet three miles south of Mars. It is the bride, the lamb's wife, with honey and milk under her tongue, a message of righteousness and a message of rest that flows from promised land stuff. Honey and milk are promised land materials. But in this promised land, it's not a geographical location, but a spiritual location. And we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are in that promised land. And out of us flows milk and honey. And I believe that the nations of the world are waiting on somebody to preach a message of grace and God is releasing it on a massive level. And we are back back once again, I believe, to a great place in the American church where the Spirit and the bride, not just the Spirit, but the Spirit and the bride are saying, come. There's an invitation that says, whosoever will may come. I don't care what your problem is. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how bad you feel like you failed. There's water of life that you can drink without cost, and it will wipe every tear off of every face. I refuse to preach a limited lamb and to water down the lamb and take away from the words of the prophecy of this book or add to it anything. I want to preach Jesus unwatered down. I want to preach the gospel unadulterated. I want to preach from a pure flow of a river that gives life to everything it touches, and I want you to be a part of that as well. God has been building His church. It's alive and well on planet earth. You say, well, I can't see it. That's because it's clear as a crystal in the book of Revelation. And while it's there, you may not be able to see it with your visible eye, but if you get the eye of the Spirit, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light, that you'll be able to see and to hear what the Spirit says to the church, because that's how it started. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. It starts out by saying, come and see, come and see, and it ends with, I saw and I saw, and I saw. I trust as I conclude this book that you could say with me, and I saw a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation. I saw all things made new. It's been a blessing to teach this. Thank you. Call the number on the screen. Sow something into the ministry to help us take the gospel of the kingdom around the world. And uh, just take, if you want to, you can write to that address that's on the screen and sow via a check if you'd like to do that. Your cards and letters are welcome. Hit us on Facebook on our public profile page and you'll be able to follow our meetings and so forth. Go to our website, linhouse.com, and our itineraries there. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this series. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.